0: Share with you guys. We pray that uh, God would encourage us all as we walk through uh, the Word of the Lord this morning in the Book of Acts. Again, uh, of course, we are uh, walking through in our series uh, entitled "Unstoppable," looking at the life uh, of the early church, specifically life in the early church in the light of Jesus's instructions to the to the apostles in uh, verses four and verses eight of uh, chapter one. Uh, of Acts, and what happened in the life of the church as a result of those instructions and their submission to those instructions. Amen? Scripture saying in verse 4 of chapter 1, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And in verse 8, but you will receive power After or when, there we go, trying to quote KJV and read ESV, it happens. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus instructs them to wait for the promise which would bring power and the purpose of both the promise and the power is witnesses. He said, after that which the Holy Ghost uh, comes upon you, you shall be my witnesses. Amen? So every act that follows um, is a demonstration of the promise of God and the power of God, putting them on display for the sole purpose of witnessing to the people around that Jesus Christ, whom they crucified, is indeed the Son of God. This divine act of show and tell begins in Acts chapter 2, which uh, Pastor Crawford preached on a couple of weeks ago with the day of Pentecost. As we see, uh, the glory of God displayed with the demonstration of power and immediately followed um, by the gospel of Christ being declared by Peter. His first sermon, amazing sermon, 3,000 people were added to the church uh, that day. That's every preacher's dream, amen? Amen. Scripture says, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind that filled the house and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on them, uh, each of them. And they were filled, all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. Scripture continues in the, uh, in the account saying the people were uh, bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Again, it was a time of a festival and there were lots of different nationalities uh, in the place. But here they're hearing their own language. Amazed and astonished, the scripture continues. They question, these not all Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own language, hearing them telling in, in our own tongues the mighty works of God? They were amazed and perplexed and scripture records that they were saying to one another, what does this mean? Then Peter lifts up his voice in response to declare the good news of the gospel before all who were gathered. And in Acts chapter 3, we repeat, or we have a repeat rather of this glory, display of glory and the declaration of the gospel. The glory of God displayed that men might see that they might take Notice, and then the gospel of Christ declared that men might hear and believe and repent. So we see a wonder and a word. And although we see the wonder first, we don't want to get stuck on the wonder because the thing that is most wonderful about the text is the word of the Lord being declared and hearts being turned to Jesus. Amen. So we have the power of God on display here for no other reason, again, than for witness to the person and priesthood of Jesus Christ. Read with me Acts chapter 3, 1 through 5 here. Hear the words of the Lord. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. The ninth hour is 3 p.m., and life in the early church still uh, involved a lot of activities in the temple, and certainly prayer, Uh, most assuredly corporate prayer uh, was something that was important uh, in the life of the early church, still is prayer still important in the life of the church so when we see Jesus rebuking uh, Jewish leadership in certain places in scripture uh, regarding the temple, we don't want to mistake that Jesus was um, trying to turn people away from church amen, because you got some people out there who would say, you know, I can just be I can be saved and not go to church. Well, Jesus never intended for people not to go to church. Amen? Uh, As a matter of fact, we are encouraged, Scripture saying in Hebrews chapter 10, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as is the practice of some and all the more as the A, big D, uh, approaches. But his intent is for us to have a right view of the church. So church attendance, church membership, church activities, including prayer and the giving of offerings, are powerless to save. Salvation belongs to God alone. Amen? So Peter and John are going to the temple to pray, and uh, as they were going up, they encountered this man, a man who is not named. He is only identified uh, by his condition and his life as a result of his condition He's a man that has been laying for birth, scripture tells us, that is laid daily by those who are uh, referred to only as they gate of the temple to ask alms. And there are several things we can learn from the wonder that God performed involving this man. And the first is that in wonder, God affirms worth. It can be challenging when you Uh, find yourself in uh, a disadvantaged position and sometimes we devalue ourselves and certainly community. People around us can devalue us because of their perceived, um, their perception of our condition. But this man had a lifetime of lame. He knows lame. He's familiar with lame. Lame has been his means of provision. They laid him daily at the temple to ask alms to care for his life course, being lame from birth, he couldn't work, right? And so people in that time depended on the generosity of people going in and out of the temple. Other people know him as lame as he is even introduced to us as lame. But that's now how God identifies him. In her book, Gay Girl, Good God, Jackie Hill Perry talks about identity she notes that too often we become known and even identify ourselves by our struggles and our conditions. For her it was, you know, the gay girl. For others, it may be the alcoholic or the drug addict. For others, the adulterer or the thief. Nobody knows your struggles like you do, so you can fill in the blank, right? Because that list could literally go on and on with the things that we struggle with and the things that sometimes even we devalue ourselves in and are, are hesitant to go to God in prayer because we are ashamed to have to come and confess this thing again. In other places in Scripture, we see the blind man, the demon-possessed. And here in our text, we have the lame man. But God never intended for our conditions or our struggles to be our identity. His heart is always for our identity to be tied to him, our creator, and not our conditions. This is the heart of God because, again, we tend to esteem value or worth by identity. Uh, Even in brands, right? You go to Kroger, you have your great value. No, that's Walmart, isn't it? Uh, You have your your great value, though, at Walmart, and you have your Kroger brands, and then you have your brand name stuff, right? And sometimes we can say, hey, the, the Kroger brand is just not as good. And sometimes it's just as good, but that's us esteeming value based on identity, based on brand. But God doesn't esteem worth that way. And um, we can even, not just in terms of brands, of, of, of groceries, or even clothes, but sometimes we can even uh, esteem value and worth to people like that too, right? Right? This is what many uh, of the people in the story of the Good Samaritan did. And so sometimes we do the same. when We see people like that. We will do what they did. We will cross the street or we will look the other way. Or in this day and age, we might pretend to be on our phone. Anything to prevent from having engaged somebody like this who might be sitting and asking for donations or asking for alms. And... You know, of course, we're not trying to guilt trip anybody. We're not saying the next time you see somebody downtown or in Walmart's parking lot with a sign that you just run right over to show how generous you are. But we are we are wanting to challenge one another to check our hearts about how we determine and esteem value to people who are created in God's image and His likeness. Amen. So it's coming up. Three o'clock many people are coming to the temple for prayer and I'm sure this guy is not the only one who is sitting outside of gate of the gate asking for alms depending on the kindness and generosity of strangers uh, but in the midst of all the traffic the lame man and Peter and John have a divine encounter. they notice one another where many of those coming into the service probably may have done again what you and I have done and that's uh, uh, take every effort to avoid making eye contact uh, uh, with these people. Peter and John directed their gaze at him, Scripture says, and said to him, look at us. It's something, again, eye contact is kind of one of those things in terms of esteeming worth when we respect people, when we care for people, we give them eye contact, Right? So it's something for somebody to make eye contact with you when everybody else is trying to avoid making eye contact with you. But God is affirming his worth even in the midst of his condition. We see this also with Jesus in uh, Mark chapter 1 with the leper that was healed. The the leper comes to him around uh, verse 39, verse 40, and he says, "Uh, If you will, you can make me clean. Now, Scripture does record that Jesus moved with pity. He stretched out his hand and touched him. He touched him first. He does go on and say in verse 40 and 41, I will be clean, but he touched him first. Now, there's a list, both written and unwritten, about things that you don't touch, and lepers are on that list. Amen? That's my one joke. Please note, Jesus again does go on to say that I will be clean. But before he speaks the word, before he heals the man's body, he heals his heart. He touches him. He knows that lepers are considered unclean. They don't touch them. Lepers don't even touch each other. And so Jesus knew that the man longed for something that his request didn't reveal. He affirms his worth. We are not our conditions, family. We are not our struggles. We are image bearers of God. And by default, we have value and we have worth. In wonder also, God uses our lives to point others to himself. So we can't be caught up on our conditions and our struggles because when we do, we esteem them above God. But in wonder, God uses our lives even where we are. This man was lame, considered uh, useless by some, but God uses his life. That's very powerful. Sometimes God moves quietly, as in the case of the leper in Mark 1. When he healed that guy, he told him, hey, go and tell nobody, but go and show yourself to the priest and uh, make the offering that Moses commanded as proof. But sometimes he moves in a very public and very attention-grabbing way, as in the case of our brother at the, the gate called But one noted difference between the leper and the lame man, the leper was seeking Jesus. He came to Jesus and said, If you will, you can make me clean. The brother at the temple was sitting, simply sitting at the gate. But what does that tell us? That proximity does not mean participation. You can be in the church and not of the church, right? The lame man was close, but he was connected. For whatever reason, he was stuck. And I can imagine after a, a, a lifetime, and we don't know, Scripture doesn't tell us his age, but it does tell us he was lame from birth. So after a lifetime of being carried and laid in different places to depend On the generosity of I can can see how one can get stuck having no expectation, having having no outlook for anything other than what life is. It simply is what it is. And it's easy to get stuck. Amen. I, I, I never I thought I was a flexible, cool guy, and then I got married. I discovered I was stuck discovered my wife was stuck I couldn't load a dishwasher I couldn't I couldn't fold a towel we get stuck on stuff we get stuck does the toilet seat go up or down fellas we know it all goes down right toilet paper under or over over amen all y'all under people just come to the altar I was talking to a sister the other day at the hospital and, you know, she was sharing, she's a member of a church in Brandon uh, that my wife and I actually attended for some time and she was sharing how, you know, she just, she couldn't even hear the preacher during Sunday morning service because they didn't sing hymns. That stuck. The people to whom Peter uh, is about to deliver his second sermon, they crucified Jesus to protect their churches, cultural traditions, they are stuck. So after you've, you've been so stuck, sometimes it takes a, a, a radical response to get you unstuck. And that's what we have here. We have a radical uh, response. As I was thinking about this, I was reminded about a time several years ago when the young one and I went to Kroger and, you know, we came out, loaded our groceries in the truck, and he darted off across the street to put the buggy in the cart return. And as kids do, once he pushed it in, he turned around and started to gun it back to me without looking. So he didn't see the truck coming at a high rate of speed. And so with everything that within me, and I won't do it in here because it'll be very loud with these acoustics, but I yelled, "Japen, stop! Couldn't afford to whisper. The weight of the moment required a radical response. I had to make sure that he heard me and he could obey my instructions. But I was obviously so loud, he stopped, the pickup stopped, everybody else in the, in the parking lot stopped. In this moment in our text, God intends to captivate not only the lame man's attention and affections, but also the attention and affections of those who are gathered for prayer. And since they were both so stuck, God had to do something radical to get their attention. Look with me at Acts 3, verses 6 through 11. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth, amen, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong and leaping up he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them quietly, no walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking alms and were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. He cut up. He made a sing. Just imagine, if you will, if we were all in here praying and somebody walked in just boisterous and loud, giving a brother George praise. What would be our reaction? Do you think everybody could still just, just sit there or stand there praying and not turn to see what was going on? Everybody in the place would turn to see what was going on. And so he was not uh, uh, being irreverent. There was no intent in his heart to disrupt the service. Again, it's the hour of prayer, right? But praise and thanksgiving are the fruit of gratitude. When you can recognize what God has done or is doing in your life, praise and thanksgiving is automatic. Amen. And because God doesn't waste our pain nor does he waste our praise, we know that this moment was strategic. It wasn't a chance counter with Peter and John and the lame man. It was divinely orchestrated before the foundation of the world again to put the glory of God on display so that everyone in the temple could hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything up until now has been pointing towards this end. too often, even in times past where I've preached this message before God kind of started pulling us out of some of the the, the connections we were in, when I would preach this text, I would stop at verse 8. God is just warming up at verse 8. The the, the wonder is not in the miracle that happened. The wonder is in the word and the repenting, the turning of hearts. Amen? If we stop at the healing, we miss the healer. If we stop at the wonder of God making the lane to walk, we miss the wonder of God calling dead men to life. So the man is healed. He erupts with praise. Uh, People come to see what all the fuss is about and see him walking and praising God. And are y'all looking at the text? Look at verse 10. They recognize verse 10 says, as the man who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking alms, what did they not call him? The lame man. When God does a work, he changes you. And people take note, and he's going to do the same for these people in the latter verses. In verse 11, the people, again, utterly astounded, Scripture says, have gathered themselves around Peter and John and the man who sat at the temple in the gate in a portico called Solomon's. And in verse 12, we have the purpose of God's wonder among the people, and that is the word as Peter begins his second sermon. I want to be like Peter, amen. Look with me at verse 12. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? And why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? 16 and his and in his name by faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know and the faith that is through Jesus has given this man his perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as also did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time of, for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Peter does three things in his address to the people. He speaks to their indictment. He speaks to rather he speaks to their amazement first. Then he speaks to their indictment. And then he speaks to their encouragement. He speaks to their amazement, uh, basically correcting their thinking. We see this also in chapter two because everything's going on and the folks are like, are they drunk? And again, he corrects them. He said, these men are not drunk. And so here, for the same reason, their amazement, he said, it has nothing to do with us. It's not by our power. It's not by by our piety. It's not because of our our holiness or our righteousness, our our own sanctification or or, uh, our own devotion to God. has nothing to do with us, but everything to do with God's devotion to his word. He goes on to tell him that it's because of God's servant Jesus, the holy and righteous one, the author of life. It is in his name, by faith in his name, by faith in Jesus that this man has been given perfect health. Again, the purpose of the power and the promise, Acts 1 verse 8, is for witness. Witness. Every demonstration of power is for witness. Every display of power points to Jesus. He then speaks to their indictment. Before a sinner can turn and repent or repent and turn, he must first know that he's a sinner, right? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant whom you delivered. Over and denied when Pilate was ready to set him free, you called for Barabbas. You called for the murderer. And because you called for the the murderer, you killed the author of life. Their charge was choosing their own righteousness rather than submitting to God. Are we guilty of that as well? Moving to their encouragement, Peter says, Brothers, I know you acted in ignorance. Why is this encouragement? Remember the words of Christ on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them. Why? Because they know not what they do, right? It was encouragement because provision was made for sin, even in the Old Testament. We won't read it, but Numbers 15, 22 through 29, if you guys want to make note and go read it. Uh, in Ephesians 2 and 8 even, we, we, uh, the scripture rather bears witness to their ignorance saying, None of the rulers of this age understood, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. You acted in ignorance, but God was very intentional. See verse 18 again, what God foretold by the mouth of his holy prophets he thus fulfilled. None of it was a surprise to God. He knew exactly what our reaction would be. He knows our hearts. That's why we might as well confess it, family. I know it's tough, and especially when you have a heart for God. Remember uh, Paul in, in, in Romans chapter 7, and he's talking about, oh, 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 wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? He, he hates his sin. He doesn't want to have to come to Christ again and say, Father, forgive me. I know you don't want to say that prayer. But God has made provision, and God knows not just that you're confessing it again, but that you probably will confess it again until the perfect comes. Amen? God has made provision. And so we come to the cross of Christ in full light of the gospel, that God is holy and righteous and just, and that God is all-knowing, that God is all-powerful, that he created man in his image and his likeness. And he affirms the worth of man because we bear his image. We acknowledge that it is not God who strained; That it was not because of God that sin entered the world and death by sin. That it is not because of God that man came to be known by their conditions rather than their creator. But because it is not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance because of his great love for us, God sent his only son that whosoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So Peter declares the heart. Uh, God's heart for man's response in verses 19, 19 through 21 as he cries, Repent, therefore, and Pastor Brian shared so beautifully on repentance. This is not God saying, you know, give up a, a, a bag of uh, nickels and I'm going to give a bag, a bag of quarters. God is infinitely of more worth and more value than anything we can imagine even with our wildest imagination i can't comprehend his worth repent therefore and turn back that your sins might be blotted out scripture says he removes them as far from us as the east is from the west it talks about this sea of forgetfulness it says i will remember them no more we come and we cringe before the cross because we remember Every time, we remember, and we, we know even in the moment that we're praying it, have you been here? This might just be me. Even in the moment that you're praying it, you're saying to God, but Lord, I really like that. That might just be me repent and turn back that your sins might be blotted out that times of refreshing can come that he removes by his spirit by his blood he removes the burden the shame the guilt the brother didn't walk in the temple knowing that he'd been lame and and saying you know i'm not really supposed to be here i'm not worthy to be in this church no he came in leap walking and leaping and praising god There's no shame in him because the Lord of glory had delivered. Times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God had spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Family, apart from Christ, we are no less lame and no less loss than the people in this text. We have our own conditions. Apart from Christ, our sin, guilt remains, and we are worthy of the punishment of sin, which is death. And so my prayer for you, my prayer for ourselves, is that we would yield every broken piece, every broken piece, to the lord and repent and turn even if it's a daily even if it's a hourly even if it's a minute by minute second by second thing that we would constantly turn to christ and be refreshed amen, amen. scripture says the arm of the lord is not short so that he cannot say i don't care what you're seeing is the blood is more powerful I don't care how many times you've done it, how many times you confess, the blood is more powerful. And because scripture asks the question, what shall separate us from the love of God? And then to go out and list some things and this says, nothing shall separate us from the love of God that is through Christ Jesus. There was room at the cross. Amen. Let us pray. Great God and King.